daffodil, knowing not for what, except that queuing feels a bit like doing, not just all alone, boo-booing. When hunched of floors and blabby mutter on and on, and oh, just listen to you drivel like a daughter. And when you drive for hours, arrive to find you nowhere gone. You've just been mouthing, broom, broom, rocking wheel, of course you have. The heap is rusted through and off the road since you drove drunk through thirteen schoolyards, laughing like a Prescott. Then welcome. Ah, ooh, Costrinzi, welcome. In blue jam. Thanks. Now, what seems to be the problem? Well, it's a bit silly, really, but um, I fell on this finger. Mm. Let me see. So I really bent it back. Yes. That's quite swollen, isn't it? Mm. Can you move it? Mm. Oh. Ah. Mm. So. Yes, it's not broken, but we should probably give it a bit of support. Right. Get Billy Connolly to pop it and do you a nice support bandage. Oh, right. Sarah, uh, could you send him through with some size 2 tubic grip and applicator? Thanks. Thanks very much. Cheerio. Keep that on for a week. Pop back if it's not getting any better. Right, thanks very much indeed. Not at all. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Why won't you 
Just one thing you ought to know, nothing to worry about. But uh, we think he might be a zombie. Oh. It does happen uh, very occasionally, just something to be aware of. A zombie? Yeah. It is shocking at first to think that you've given birth to a zombie, but then, you know, you do get, you just get used to it. Yeah. RV is our boy and uh, we regard him really as normal. Um, he likes normal things, he's like any little boy. Um, he has a little go at football with you, didn't he? And um, he's very slow, but he'll have a bash. 
Right, on the head. On the head, Arv. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. There you go. Oh, never mind. Get up. No, you're all right, boy. One thing I don't like, personally, he was, he's been banned from the local news agent. Now, to me, I'm not being funny, but that is not right. They say that he's, like, frightening the other customers, but how can you be afraid of, like, a little four-year-old zombie buying a paper? There we are, darling. Mummy's got a little treat for you, Harvey. Nice little hand for you. And his food, yeah, that is a problem, that is so the biggest problem so, for no, us. Because say, ideally, Harvey would, would like to eat human flesh, you know, and that's obviously going to be a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Um, occasionally, this um, mortician bloke who read about him, like in the paper, he sends us a hand or something every now and then. Um, but we can't do that for school. That's a good boy. No, darling, no! Darling, Harvey, don't go outside with that, darling. No, not taking that outside. Harvey. We send him off no, with uh, no, a wire no, hand Harvey. and uh, cover it in no. chicken meat. That makes and make them in the shed. Good boy. Put yourself down, not in the neighbour's toy. I don't think they should be allowed to keep him, really, if I'm honest. But I don't know what they can do about it. Um, I've driven into him to tell you the truth and he, well, he falls over and he lies there looking quite broken and then he just gets up and toddles off and that's even if you hit him at, you know, 50 mile an hour or something like that. We've had trouble with the papers because police, police come round because they was investigating these like, um, a series of like disappeared pets and that and um, then whilst they was round we was upstairs in the bathroom and then uh, they saw Harvey throwing up a dog's head in the garden so you know that that didn't help us out. All right Harvey, all right darling, you just lie there on the table. Yes for that's me. right thanks. I think he knows you know. Yeah. So here we are. This is what happens pretty regularly. Um, this chap comes round after someone's complained and gives him a lethal injection. He's a special doctor, isn't he? Well, it's what they say, but no one's too careful about the rights of a zombie, are they? Mm. I reckon he's probably one of them struck off on. Yeah, probably from the Royal Infirmary. <laughs> Could I just make sure you fully understand the procedure? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as all signs of movement have ceased, uh, then you can uh, take, take him, him back, back and bury, bury him at the bottom of the garden. Again. Good. All right, then. Do you want to say goodbye to him, or are you going to leave him with me? A bit pointless, isn't it? We're going to see him again in 12 hours. Uh, well, you, we hope not. Sir. They don't really know what they're doing, see? So. I'm just doing what I've been asked to do. Uh, right, I wonder what the I recognise that woman in the road is staring in. Um, could I just ask you to uh, restrain him while I do the injection? All right, darling. You're just going to be in the ground for a little while. Have a little sleep, darling. Maybe see you in a little while. Have a nice little sleep, darling. Won't be long. Nearly there, it, darling. Harvey boy. Good boy. Nearly there. Nearly there. Yeah, I think that's it. I never like that bit. I'll just uh, clear up and be out of your way. Mm. So, it's always like this, really. Yes, 
so what happens now is we bury him and we stay up half the night basically waiting for him to dig his way out of the ground again. Yeah, I mean otherwise he'd probably escape and we'd be held responsible, you know. Stupid, he'll be back at school tomorrow. Makes you sick, you know, one little zombie and everyone goes to Lally.
I was in Susie's house looking for a cigarette. I knew I wasn't going to find one because she'd given up and hired a smoking agent to remove all tobacco products from the house every other day for a year. I had no cash, and to earn my keep I had to stay by the phone and answer it and take messages. She made me do it in a New York gay accent so her friends would ask questions. In between phone calls I thought about cigarettes. I thought about breaking off their filters and putting the ragged end in my mouth, sucking a flame into the leafy tube, inhaling very deeply and savouring the mild anoxic rush with caustic crumbs of tobacco stuck to my tongue and lips. I opened the window. There's an office block opposite Susie's flat. Its smokers skulk in the lane at the back. Sometimes the smoke drifts up and in through Susie's window. Today, there was only the smoke from next door's incinerator. They have two dogs and they burn their turds in it. In desperation, I phoned an ad in to loot. Cigarette wanted, it said. Please phone Susie's number. The phone rang as soon as I put it down. Susie. She wanted her astrakhan coat delivered to her office on the South Bank. I need it for six. I'm meeting a playwright. I knew what that meant. She has a soggy valve for writers. Oh, and could you change the sheets first? I wore the coat to make sure I didn't lose it. My arms are about a foot longer than Susie's. In the street, I pause by the smokers. Standing downwind and about two yards away, and breathing like a runner, I made good use of their fumes. They stared at me with some suspicion. I felt a little conversation would help. I don't work with you, I said. More stares, so I explained. No one answered the ad in loot. They shook their heads and went inside. Two hours later, I attempted the same method outside the stage door of the National Theatre. There were only two smokers, and the river breeze ripped their smoke up and over my head. I leapt and gulped, breathing six times too fast, and reeled giddily into the road. A car screeched to a halt and blasted its horn. I froze in shock. It drew up to my legs and honked again. I remained confused. There was a shout from inside. Then slowly, the car pushed me over. As I squirmed in the grit, trying to remember how to swear, I heard a brusque male voice. And on the basis of that, I'd say felling a pedestrian feels more exciting than shooting a cat with an air gun, but not as genuinely transgressive as coming in your mother's handbag. Susie's laugh coiled round this pronouncement and she appeared tugging at the end of my arm. Stand up, she said, and meet Gobi Jovler. He wrote that play that won the awards. I remembered the critics had said that it was the most devastatingly accurate play that will ever be written about sex. It's the most devastatingly accurate play that will ever be written about sex, said Susie. Jovler looked younger than I had imagined and meaty in the face. He was dressed smart, felty brown as if for a photo in a colour supplement and barking at a nervous stick with a handbook. The stick wrote everything down, 
including the volley of insults leveled at him, and laughed through a sycophant's fringe. Jovler inspected the front of my head. Is this the one that fancies you, D'Souza? He was clearly amused. Susie giggled. Jovler jabbed a few words at the stick, something like, casting note, an underdog so ugly the audience is incapable of any sympathy no matter what befalls him. Then he turned to me and said, you may follow at a discreet distance, I have a plan for you. Do you have a cigarette, I wondered. What sort of fart skull are you, he sneered. Was I not holding a lit cigarette in last month's GQ? Could I have one then, please? You can have a whole box if you can tell me the name of my next play. His last play had been called Fuckers. More fuckers, I said. Sadly, it is currently nameless, he laughed. But if you do turn out to be right, then you may find your scroungings in Harwich. And he lobbed the box into the river. Susie and Jovler led me by 20 yards along the promenade, with the stick one gruff remark to their right. Twice they stopped and held hands, gazing at the roof of the theatre, while Jovler's name swept across the light display. Once he bawled me out for blocking the view of his poster. When we reached the bridge, he insisted on repeating the stroll, because he'd only been recognised by five people. You said you only wanted five, said Susie. Yeah, but three of them recognised me from the telly, he snorted. And we traipsed back and forth two more times before he announced that he and Susie were going to get pissed in a limo. Jovler's driver slung us over the river. Jovler and Susie helped themselves to the car bar. Watching this, the stick's eyes bulged and he reminded me of a featherless anorexic owl I'd dreamt about in hospital. Jovler poured him a large, colourless one. What do you do? I whispered. Neat gin, he replied. But Jovler had heard me. Daniel is a scribe, cursed with the intelligence to know he will never be a first-rate writer, and enough ambition to rot horribly in this knowledge, until in twenty years he claims that he wrote all my plays and shortly afterwards drinks himself to death. Daniel snivelled before Jovler cut him off with... No time to laugh, fuck pen. Get it all down. Later, I found a note in my pocket which said, I don't write his plays. It's the actors who do that. We toured London in great random sweeps. Jovler all the time extemporising on urban alienation in the sexually malfunctioning zeitgeist. Look, he'd say. Look at them. Dual income, six dildos. And once, if you're bored of London, you're bored of fucking. And I'm bored of fucking London because I'm bored of London fucking. This last, the stick applauded until he was slapped. By the time we reached Susie's flat, Jovler had pronounced himself ready for the final act. As he dragged her to the chamber, he called over his shoulder to the stick. Tell New York I'll be up for an hour. Susie wondered if Jovler might give me a few cigarettes so I could remain in a fug at the breakfast bar while they got torrid. No, no, he's part of the scene, he said. He leered at me like a randy bandit and waved a box of cigarettes under my nose. Fancy one? I did. 
then you must witness the top. With that, he shoved Susie onto her four-poster and started to savage her bodice. Stick sat me down on the floor. It's where they usually sit, he said, and wrote feverishly as he spoke. I glanced up to behold Jovler, now naked and kneeling before a slightly ripped-looking Susie. Gobble my stoppard, he ordered, and fell on her in such a way as to bring this about. As he pushed himself into her face, Jovler turned to me and said, How does it feel to see the woman you love being plugged by me? An unborn scream burst in my stomach and spread like cold mercury through my chest. I put my hands over my face but kept looking through my fingers. Write that down, he panted to the stick. Visibly destroyed but can't look away. Then he whipped Susie round so her forehead slapped the wall and declared, Mr. Stoppard will shortly be entering his box. Hammering continued for ghastly minutes until the mobile phone which Jovler had gaffered to his buttock chirped a manic arpeggio. He ripped it upwards, listened, stopped mid-thrust and shouted, Not now, Mamet, I'm fucking. Then he beamed the hideous grin of the undeservedly successful and slapped Susie quite hard around the face to celebrate. Now I could turn away, and to the sounds of this dubious pleasure, I began to ponder a vague tumescence of my own. Eventually, with a series of pathetic squeaks, the playwright emptied himself in the region of Susie's chest and armpit. She didn't seem to notice. By this stage, she was mainly asleep. He lit a cigarette and ordered his amanuensis to read back his notes. Good, he said frequently, and hmm, pinter, before dropping the butt in my lap and pronouncing himself pleased with a decent first draft. Then he told the stick to leak the mammoth episode to the Sunday Times. I'll deny it in my next interview, he said. That's how it's done. Leave now, he said to me, and the stick prodded me through to a large sofa where I dragged urgently on the soggy filter. Through the stripped pine, I could hear Susie, awake now and softly sobbing, accompanied by the fart of his voice, which had taken on a new, almost pleading tone. I hate the slapping too, he was saying. It's just that, well, it really is the thing now, you know. Three hours later, he was gone, and I was asleep in the bed next to Susie. She called me in to cover the damp patch. I slept fitfully, tormented by febrile visions of a Jovler rampant, until Jovler's voice jolted me too. It was mumbling through the answer phone. D'Souza, it was saying. You do love me, don't you? Yeah, I I'm sure you do, yeah. All right, good. Uh, hope you're not too, you know. And uh, hey, it was, uh, it was, uh, a voice behind him prompted something inaudible. Yeah, it was a fuck supreme. You are the Marquis of Muff. <laughs> there was a loud clunk, but the phone didn't ring off. And for some minutes I heard Jovler explaining to the stick how this last phrase would work at the National and would be quoted by 20% of the audience in the interval. And he would hear it because he has a special window for listening.
can do that, yes. If you like, yeah. Right, Wednesday morning. That's a pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. C'est un jour comme un autre Et pourtant tu t'en vas Tu t'en vas vers une autre Sans me dire un seul mot Et je ne comprends pas, comprends pas 
C'est un jour comme un autre Mais nous sommes déjà Éloignés l'un de l'autre De nous deux Il ne reste que moi Mais pourquoi, mais pourquoi Toi, tu étais pour moi Tout ce que j'espérais Toi, tu étais ma vie et même un peu plus, tu étais l'amour C'est un jour comme un autre Et pourtant tu t'en vas Tu t'en vas vers une autre Sans me dire un seul mot Et je ne comprends pas, comprends pas C'est un jour comme un autre Mais moi j'ai mal de toi moi qui riais des autres Aujourd'hui C'est vous deux qui devez rire de moi, rire de moi Toi, tu prends à jamais Tout ce que j'espérais Toi, tu me prends la vie Et même un peu plus Tu me prends l'amour C'est un jour comme un autre et pourtant tu t'en vas Et pourtant tu t'en vas Et pourtant tu t'en vas I suppose you'd say I've always been been a lonely sort of person. I don't really know how to start a conversation. I have to have a good reason. So I've started to make my reasons happen. Excuse me? Yes? Um, could you help me? What's the matter? I'm stuck. Sorry? I'm, I'm stuck on this. With a wire. They don't know what hit them. Uh, here's one. Are you alright? Yeah. Okay. It's my, it's my leg. What's your name? Uh, Robert Stapier. Lucy Tiesman, how do you do? Could you get me some help, please? Oh, yes, you'll need that. Yes, thanks. Mm. Do you like grapes? What? I could bring you some grapes in hospital. <laughs> After we lost Diana, I stayed in the house for about six weeks. 
then one day I just flipped and stormed out straight to the shopping centre and I knocked this bloke over the edge of the car park and he sort of landed on his head. He was very seriously injured. He's through here actually. Andrew? Andrew? Someone here to see you. Andrew? I think if I did have any friends, they would say I was getting worse. And the other day, I floored a bloke by short-circuiting his shopping basket onto the fridge. And I decided to prolong the conversation by telling him I'd done it. It worked, but I'm not sure if it was a good idea. The police came round the other day.
much fatter than Elvis. He his bulk onto a railway and with a sigh devastates the 1940 from Patty. something wrong with my small? No, it's, it's just a time thing. If you have this. That, that noise in the house for two days a week, it's, it's, it's difficult to work. You want me to go? No, no, no. Look, Rosa, we just want the cleaning to be done on one day. You know, not, not two. It doesn't need two. possible today is no more. Not with this and all the small. Rosa. I buy you. 20 of these. Mm. 
Little dusters for the small mice. It's not, it's no bigger than a stamp. Please, don't be cross. I do my best. I buy this special for the house. Please, I like it here very much. I do good work. Please, for three days, it's no problem for me. I know, I know, I know. Please, Mr. Paul, I do very good with all the dust. Oh, alright. Every little bloody dirt. It's three days. Yes. Okay, okay. Thank you. Right. I go now. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Pulses. Oh, hello. Hi, have you finished? How'd it go? That's good. Good. Yeah, yeah, she's gone. Well, um, well, well, no, no. No, she's actually going to do three days now. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. No, I couldn't, I couldn't. She had about 20 miniature dusters. Well, mm, mm. I see later, bye.
Lindsay Steve Lamech as a frail old man in a wheelchair huh. trying to shake hands with an elephant. My name is Michael Hargreaves. I'm a musician. And for about 20 years now, I've been possessed by the spirit of Ludwig van Beethoven. Um, he actually doesn't particularly inspire me to write music, but he does use me as a vessel for recreational pursuits particularly ten-pin bowling. Well, not really. They, they didn't really have bowling in his time. But he's certainly enjoying it now. And through me. No. And blabby mutter on and on and 
Oh, just listen to you drivel like a daughter. And when you drive for hours, arrive to find you nowhere gone. You've just been mouthing, broom, broom, rocking wheel, of course you have. The heap is rusted through and off the road since you drove drunk through thirteen schoolyards, laughing like a Prescott. Then welcome. Ah, ooh, Costrinzi welcome. In blue jam. Blue jam, blue jam.